been several weeks since Brother Franz has been here, and we've had other people in, so I just had to get the horn out tonight. And uh, we need to get a, at least one violin uh, next Sunday night, and let's see some other instruments. And if you know how to do that, we'd, it'd be a lot of fun to have a nice little orchestra on Sunday nights. Don't look at me like that. You're going to get that flute out once you learn how to play it. But... Uh, not until. Amen. Let's take our Bible, 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 as we're closing in on finishing the book of 2 Timothy. Paul is writing from the dungeon cell. We are closing out the second and last letter that we, uh, we believe Paul Wrote, we're down to chapter 4, and we're just going to read through the first eight verses. It says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come... When they, shall not, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. And so as we read these verses, uh, these are this is a very popular text at preachers' meetings and and. Uh, because it, it deals with what the preacher is to be doing. Now, if you can just get the picture, put this all in its historical context. Paul is old. He has served the Lord probably close to 40 years at this point. He is in, the, as far as we understand, the Mamertine dungeon at Rome. This is where the most vile and wicked men of the Roman Empire were held until their execution. There was no escape for Paul. There would be no reprieve as there was the first time in the book of Acts where he was set free. The emperor, as far as we know and understand from history, was Nero. Uh, he was just one of those wonderful guys. Uh, he was a madman. Uh, how he ascended to the throne of the Caesars is still one of those mysteries of history. But he was just uh, a man who was always looking to blame things on other people. It's well-known fact today that Nero was the one who burned down Rome. He sent his own men to set the poorer parts of the city on fire so that he could rebuild the city of Rome. In fact, his plans were to rebuild Rome completely and call it Neropolis after Nero, the city of Nero. And 
yet today, people do not even call their dogs Nero. That was the kind of man he was. He was the one who was going to make sure that Paul did not finish his life in peace. And so as he's writing this last letter to Timothy, what is going through his heart, what is going through his mind, is I want to make sure that Timothy makes it. Uh, if there is anything that a preacher wants for those that are trained and sent out of the church he pastors, it's for them to make it. And Timothy was dear to Paul, and now we come here, and he starts out this, this section, this chapter, with, I charge thee. Now, has nothing to do with Visa and MasterCard or American Express. Amen? Uh, what the idea of charging is, is I am giving you a solemn duty to fulfill. He says, I am making you promise. I am demanding. And now I want us to notice that the first thing is Paul says, I'm charging you. Uh, in fact, even today when we have an ordination, there will be a charge preached. And our first ordination that our church is having is on schedule for our missions conference this year. Brother Hiram Davis, we have preachers coming down from all over New York State to be a part of that. And, uh, and, uh, and it is going to be an exciting time. I am looking forward uh, to that. And one of the parts of the ordination right here is a charge. Because you do not ordain a man lightly into the ministry. It is one of the most serious things that will ever happen. It is the most solemn responsibility. And by the way, Bible colleges don't make preachers. Uh, ministerial assassination, I mean associations, do not make preachers. Uh, denominations do not have the right to make preachers. Churches ordain pastors. The audience is not the people that are assembled. Who is the audience that whom Paul addresses? He says, I charge thee therefore before God. He said, I want you to understand, Timothy, the duties that you have undertaken here, the life goal that you have set before you, God is watching. God is concerned. And he said, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be the judge of the quick and dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Now, I, I try to remind ourselves and myself of this on a regular basis. When we get together and we sing songs as we have just sung songs. Yes, I enjoy the singing of songs. Tell you what, you can walk in this building all worn out, beat up by the world, and just start singing some of those grand old hymns. And it just changes everything now, doesn't it? It is one of the best medicines for the aching soul is singing those beautiful hymns of the faith. But that's not the reason we sing them. 
The reason we sing them is because we want God to know that we are corporately praising him and challenging ourselves to be his servants. That's what the songs are about. Uh, that's why we don't have 7-Eleven songs. That's where you repeat seven words 11 times and, and uh, just go over the same thing. All God doesn't need to hear the same thing over and over again. He knows the hymns. But he wants us to sing them as an offering of praise. Now let me ask you a question. If the Lord Jesus were physically present sitting up here on the platform, would you sing better than you did tonight? Probably so. But let me ask you a question. Is he here? Where two or three are gathered in my name? We, we need to understand. And Paul's telling Timothy, listen, Timothy, God is the creator. He is watching you. Jesus is the judge. He is going to judge every man the quick, that means the living, and the dead. We read the book of Hebrews, and every pastor, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm really looking forward to this, but I know that something I'm going to have to do as a pastor. God's going to have a list of names. He's going to have a list of names of every person that's walked through those doors. Every person that we've preached to on the streets. And he's going to say, okay, give an account. And sometimes I'm going to be able to say, well, they got saved and they served God and they were a faithful part of our church. Other people I'm going to say, well, they came and they went. Some people I'm going to say, there's no nice way to say this, Lord. They were a problem when they walked in. They were a problem when they walked out. They were a problem the whole time they were there. That's what I'm going to have to do as a pastor. I can't gloss over what happened. Because Jesus is going to judge every person. I remember getting in a somewhat of a dispute with a group of Muslim men. And I said, now listen, I'm going to meet you on Judgment Day. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah. He says, we're going to be there. I said, you certainly will. And I said, I'll give testimony against you as they bind you hand and foot and drag you to the pit. Did you actually say that to them? Yes, I did. Because if you believe in that God, you reject the God of this book called the Bible. I wasn't happy about saying that. And I won't be on that day either. But I want you to know Jesus is the judge. And he's going to examine every life. And Paul is charging Timothy, listen. God is watching everything you do. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to judge everything you say. What is the charge? Verse 2. Preach the word. Brother Josh, when he was here, he said, what do you want your church to be known for? That's what I want our church to be known for. I want this to be a place where anybody walks through that door, they say, man, those people are nuts about the Bible. Amen? 
That is the job of the preacher. That is what the church is supposed to be about. You go to many churches and they're going to preach your emotional well-being. We, we, need to, we need to build people's self-esteem. No, 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 we do not. There's people think way too much of themselves. They think way too much about themselves. We need to think about the Lord Jesus Christ today, my folks. Uh, we need to be about the Word of God. Uh, I've been accused on occasion, I don't know why, of being very dogmatic and somewhat fierce. And I'm going, wait a minute, you don't know me very well. I just want you to know what the Bible says. And when I'm telling you what God says, I'm not making apologies. I don't have to back up. It's not going to get changed. Somebody gave me a book to read, and you pray for me. Hopefully, if things work out at camp, I'm going to read this book and give the man an answer. It's on geological dating. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Peter do me a little research. Because what I want to do is I want to get a textbook from the 60s. Because the world wasn't 4.5 billion years old then. Because they didn't think they needed that much time. And if we go back into the 20s and the 30s, man, the world wasn't even 100,000 years old because they couldn't comprehend that much time. But now it's 4.5 billion years old. Why? Because they're trying to make enough time in the calendar for something that could never have happened to happen. It's absolutely absurd. But, listen, it's not all about those things. It's about this book called the Bible. Amen? This book called the Bible tells us the world is somewhere just a little over 6,000 years old. We can't be exact because we don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden before they sinned. If the genealogies of the Bible go from the date of Adam's sin, which would be the simplest and probably the closest, then from the time Adam and Eve sinned and were removed from the garden, we have about 6,000 years of history. Now, how long they lived in the garden before then, we don't know. So we're not going to be dogmatic about the things, but we can't be. But we're not going to say the earth is four and a half billion years old. And people argue all the time. You know what? This book doesn't need to be updated. You go to the Christian bookstore, and they have all these new and improved editions. Uh, they may be new, but they're not improved. Just stick with your old King James Bible if you speak English. Amen? And if you want to learn English, if you can read this Bible, you can read anything in print in the English language. Trust me on that one. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Preacher, just add water. Amen? Be instant. No, that's not what it's talking about. It simply means be ready. It means be ready. 
There are times when you just look forward to stepping in the pulpit and preaching. There are times when things are going differently and you're carrying a lot of burdens and, and you're, you're not looking as forward to doing that. You don't get the time that you would like to prepare. Guess what? If you're living, you can preach in an instant. And that's what the Bible's talking about here. Be instant, in season, out of season. Now here's some words that everyone in this church ought to be in love with. Number one, reprove. That means blame expressed to the face. How many of you enjoy that? Good. Because if you do, you got problems. Amen? No one likes reproof. But how many of us need to be reproved? How many of us need someone to get in our face? That's why I like to go to preacher's meetings. Because I need preaching. Rebuke. I mean, that's, that's a harsh word. But we need to be rebuked. We need to be told no. One of the biggest problems we have in American culture and society today is that people do not know the meaning of the word no. It's always maybe. I can't remember where I got the bumper sticker. I think Rachel got it for me. And I've slid it under the glass on my desk. It says, what part of no don't you understand? We, we got to get a hold of that truth. God's word says no. We do it anyway. Does God get upset? We're the one that pay for it, aren't we? If we only knew what we were losing, exhort. We need exhortation. That is being told and encouraged to do what is right. That's what we want our services to be about. You've got to understand God's word. And when you understand God's word, guess what? It's going to tell you what is wrong. It's going to tell you absolutely not under any circumstances. You will step out of the bounds of God's protection if you choose this path for your life. Now let's work together to serve the Lord. Reproof, rebuke, exhortation. How is that to be done? It says, with all long suffering. Now people like to end that one right there. But what does it say? With all long suffering and what? Did anybody read that last word? Doctrine. You know what, you can open up the yellow pages and look for church ads in the yellow pages. Now I don't, I haven't done this lately, but several years ago there were several churches advertised in local yellow pages. We have no doctrine. Boy, how do you have a church without doctrine? Honestly, that is your doctrine. Doctrine is what you believe enough to practice. And if you believe nothing enough to practice it, that's your doctrine. Nothing. Doctrine is what you believe. You know what? God's word has not changed in all of these years. Can you tell me one book that is as unchanging as your Bible is? 
One of these days, I'm going to find this article. It was in World Book Encyclopedia. We had an old set that dated back to the 70s or 80s. And somebody had put the yearbooks in there. And in the scientific yearbook, I can't remember what year, it had an article entitled Dino Man. And it said, if only the asteroid hadn't hit the Earth and destroyed all the dinosaurs 25 million years ago, we believe the dinosaurs would have continued to evolve until they would have looked like a man. And they had the picture of this little dinosaur with his tail sticking out and two nice long arms. And he had the head of one of those funny looking little things with a big long beak. But he, he, they had interposed a drawing of a man and a dinosaur and said, this is where evolution is going. I, I want to get a hold of that article. It was hilarious. That anyone would say something like that is beyond ridiculous. It is beyond laughable. You know what? We haven't had to update the church to meet the needs of our modern age. What we need to do is have a kind of church the Bible says we need to have. Amen. We have not had to change how a person gets saved. You got saved the same way the Apostle Paul did. What would thou have me do, Lord? You have the same salvation that Peter got. You have the same salvation that has been enjoyed through the ages by all who will simply believe in the word of God. By the way, you have the same Bible that they had in the Middle Ages. You had the same Bible that they had at the church of Patmos and the church of Ephesus. We have God's word. It says in the spirit of long suffering, there have been more than one occasion where someone has come and they said, now listen, I just don't agree with what you're doing. I don't agree with the word of God. We don't like the way that, that you pastor. And, and uh, I'll tell them, I said, listen, I'm not trying to be rude, but we're not, the only church, we're not the only building that has church name on it. I said, now, if you're interested in a Bible-believing church, I'll give you a list of other churches that you can attend. Because we're not the only Bible-believing church in New York City. Amen. Praise the Lord, there's other ones. And if you can't stand me, I'll give you a name and some pastors you can go and look for. But let me tell you something. If you're leaving because you don't want to obey the Bible, we're not changing. We call it Open Door Bible Baptist Church because we believe the Lord gave us some open doors. They swing both ways. But let me tell you something, if you choose to go out, the door will be open if you choose to follow God's word. Because we're not changing our doctrine. But we're going to be long-suffering. The door is open to anyone who wants to be a part of the church. And wants to serve the Lord with us. Amen. We're waiting. And we'll be here. By God's grace till Jesus comes back. Now if you wait till then. It'll be too late. Forget about it. 
But if you choose to serve the Lord in this life, by God's grace, there'll be a church here that preaches and teaches God's word till Jesus comes back. We're not going anywhere, but we're not changing anything. Amen? Now look at verse 3. It says, for the time will come. I put in your outline, is here. Amen? When they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, Paul is talking about people who call themselves Christians. As we were studying the Word of God, how many were here when we did that series on the history of the Word of God on Thursday nights? We were about 20 weeks or something like that. And contrary to popular belief, the greatest perversions of the text of the Scripture happened before 200 A.D. People took the Bible and they changed it. Some of the perversions of Scripture are, as, are nearly as old as the Scripture itself. We like to blame a guy named Origen who lived about 240 A.D. as being the founder of, of many of the perverted texts where they get these modern Bibles from today. He was not a, an originator of perverted texts, but he was a collator. He combed the libraries of the then-known world, 240 A.D., to find every perversion, every piece of garbage that was produced by people who wanted to mix the Bible with the pagan religions of their area, and he put it all together. We do not have a copy of his masterwork, which is called the Hexophila, a ten-version translation of the New Testament that went from almost a simple word-for-word -word translation to a numeric equivalent translation where he just took words that had the same numerical equivalent and put them in. In case you're wondering what that is, that's the basis of what the Jewish people call the Kabbalah today. Uh, it's just one step up from voodoo is what it is. This was the kind of man origin was. It says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But how are we supposed to preach the word? With long-suffering and doctrine. So what happens to those people who will not endure sound doctrine? Well, they're just going to go down the street and start their own thing, and, but they're going to call it by the same name. Nobody's going to start an organization and say, the unchristian church, come worship Christ as never before. I mean, you might get a collection of some oddballs, weirdos, and uh, other uh, civilized uh, 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 cultural misfits, but you're not going to get people coming to church on a regular basis. But if we put the name Christian on it, and we hold the Bible up and we change everything that's in it. It's called PBN. It's called purpose-driven Christianity. Does the Catholic Church of today believe what the Catholic Church believed 100 years ago? Absolutely not. 
The Catholic Church of 100 years ago doesn't believe what they believed 100 years before that. It was in the 1500s, 1588, when the Church of England finally settled that babies could be baptized by sprinkling. That's modern history. And yet, if you were to walk into a Catholic church, you would think that they sprinkled babies, the Apostle Paul sprinkled babies. Didn't happen. They didn't baptize one baby in any church before 400 A.D. That's how things have changed. There has always been those who will not endure sound doctrine. Here's what they're going to do. It says, but... But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now do you notice what it says here? They're going to form a religion that is patterned after the prurient desires of human beings. Could I challenge you that that describes the religion of Islam? Where a man can have up to four wives and two alternate wives at any time he so chooses. Does that not sound like a religion that was founded? You kill your enemies. You can lie to them. These are all the tenets of Islam. And, and I'm, I'm tired of people saying that's not what the Quran says. That is what the Quran says. You have three options. Conversion, enslavement, or death. Those are the three options, and if you want to study history of Muhammad and his people, those were the three options he offered to the Arabian Peninsula in his day and in his time. Uh, by the way, has anybody heard of L. Ron Hubbard? If that is not a religion that is based upon the lust and pervient desires of mankind, I don't know what is. How about... Mormon faith. I'm not even going to go there. How about the monastic movement? The monasteries. You study what went on in those monasteries. Let me tell you the most deviant acts known to mankind was committed in the name of religion by people who are getting away from the evil in the world so that they can live pure. Oh my goodness. But you turn on TBN, and if you don't have a brand new car and a fur coat and good health and a big check to send to Benny Hinn, uh, you're just not right with God. You're saying, well, you're being very sarcastic and generalistic. John Avanzini, one of their great preachers, said Jesus wore a Rolex watch and designer jeans and had so much money that he needed the 12 apostles to protect him. That's blasphemy. He was also the one that perfected the hundredfold offering in Africa, of course. They had people throwing money out of the balcony, according to his testimony. There's a lot of things that went on in Africa because you know why? You can't go back and check up on what they said happened. Listen, it says that they're going to design a religion. Now, all of this 
goes together, but you read the purpose-driven Christianity and the church becomes a service agency for the Christian. It is a place where you can get your needs fulfilled. Don't forget to write your needs into the scripture is what one of the chapters. The best commentary, the best explanation I have ever heard was given by Rush Limbaugh one day on his radio program. I just happened to be listening. He talked about that court officer in Atlanta that was kidnapped by the murderer. How many people remember that story? And she said, I use my Bible in the purpose-driven uh, uh, Christianity, and she manipulated that murderer using the plans that, uh, that were laid out in that book, and she got him to turn himself in, and that was a good thing. But you're not here to manipulate God, my friend. That is a religion that is based upon what you want. If you don't give up what you want, you can't get saved. You say, but what's God going to do to me? Oh, let me tell you, he'll do a whole lot better job with your life than you ever could. I was witnessing to Dennis at the wedding, and we were talking a little bit. And uh, he said, but, well, you had enough time to have fun before you became a Christian. I said, well, I saved at 11 years old. I said, I've had a lot more fun since I've been a Christian. And he looked at me and I said, you see, the kind of fun you have leaves a closet full of skeletons, doesn't it? And all of a sudden, you could just see him going, oh, that one and that one and that one and that one. Yeah, yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. Point taken. Uh, listen, when you serve God, he changes what's in your heart. When you serve yourself, it's a life full of regret and sorrow and bad decisions. This is the religion of the world. Did you come to get or did you come to give? By the way, there are a heap of teachers in the new religion. I always look through just to laugh or take notes of names, but I'll get this offer in the mail and do you need counseling training do you need how to grow your church and it says we have all of these world renowned experts and it goes through and it lists all these people Dr. so and so from such and such Dr. so and so Mrs. so and so Dr. Mrs. so and so and all these names of these great experts there's always going to be a heap of teachers in the false religion let me tell you, you get God's teacher to go home and spend some time with this one and it'll straighten you out. Amen? Having itching ears. Boy, if that doesn't describe our day. If you're a teacher in a public school, depending on your principal, according to Brother Franz, you're not to mark on your papers with red ink because you might be, that could be translated as yelling at your student. Uh, that's what itching ears means. It's taking 
what is not pleasant and making it pleasant. By the way, if you take what is not pleasant and make it pleasant, have you said what you needed to say? Why, of course not. Now, we're not talking about being unnecessarily rude and crude. That's not in the scripture either, my friend. But there's nothing nice about being a sinner on your way to hell. You cannot make that sound nice, and if you do, all you're doing is you're giving another shot of morphine to deaden the pain as that person slips into eternity without Christ. Lord forbid that that should ever happen at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. If you're here today and you're unsaved, we don't want you to be comfortable until you come to the Savior. Then you can be comfortable for all eternity. Amen? It says, itching ears. It says, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. Truth is not a pleasant thing sometimes. Truth has some harsh edges. Truth is a sword that cuts all the way through. But I would much rather have a doctor tell me, you have a tumor that if you do not get it taken care of, you're going to die. But if we'll operate and cut that thing out, well, doctor, let's get it done. Amen? Let's get the job done. Let's not sit here and philosophize how it's not really as serious as it is. Boy, I'll tell you, the world is just full of that. When you turn away from the truth, you're going to turn to the fables. That's why people believe man came from monkey. It's a fable. There's not one bit of proof. That's why the Mormons believe that the American Indians were the ten lost tribes of Israel. They actually believed that. A man went through a few years ago and did a DNA test. You know where the Indians came from? Where we always knew they came from? Mongolia. They are a Mongolian people. They came across, apparently, through the land bridge that once was across the Bering Sea and migrated down, and all of those great empires, the Incas and the Mayans and the, uh, uh, and the American Indians, when we finally got here in the 1600s, were just the remnants and the tatters of once great society. The builders of Machu Picchu were engineers that are unparalleled in the history of mankind. We couldn't build that city if we wanted to. But they did it thousands of years ago. Not one big crane, not one jet airplane, not one air hammer or automatic chisel, not one computer to draw a blueprint. I'll tell you what. You see, the fable is they were cavemen. 
and we are greatly developed human beings. That is a bold-faced, complete, profound lie. That's what we call a fable, amen? But you have a choice. If you reject the truth, you're going to believe the fables. That's why you can't convince someone. Now, we're going to, running out of time here. Here's, let's finish verse 5 and then we'll quit right here. It says, but watch thou in all things. It says, Timothy, don't let it slip. You've got to preach the word. You've got to be instant, in season, out of season. You're to reprove, rebuke, exhort. You're to do that with all long-suffering and doctrine. Now, when someone persecutes you for doing that, what do you do? You endure it. God will bring you through. You just keep doing what is right. Do the work of an, of an evangelist. Never forget to tell people how to be saved. But it's more than that. It says, make a full proof of thy ministry. He says, don't settle for a halfway service to God. It's interesting. Different churches are known for different things. But if we're going to be known as a Bible-believing church, we got to do it all. We got to support missions on the foreign field. We got to plant churches right here. We've got to take care of things at home, and yet we've got to reach out into the world in which we live. We've got to minister to our community, but we've got to win souls. But we've got to teach them to observe all things. That's discipleship. You know what? You're not going to move forward as fast in one area if you're taking care of all these things. But you can't be obedient to God unless you do the full circle. Amen? And that's what we're trying to do. This was Paul's charge to Timothy. It's good for us to be reminded of what we're supposed to be doing. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would bless our prayer time to follow. Work in our hearts. Lord, we ask that we would be a church that would be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll take just a moment if anybody...